Welcome everyone to Dead Talk Live. I am your host, Viz. Today we welcome famed director Dwight H. Little, whose credits span both film and television, including his new film called Natty Knox, which is now streaming on Tubi and has recently released his memoirs titled Still Rolling Inside the Hollywood Dream Factory, which is also now available. Dwight, it is an honor to have you with us today. How are you doing today? Pleasure, John. I'm feeling good, ready, and looking forward to talking to you. Well, thank you again so much for being here. So let's get right to it. Uh, to me, you are the man who resurrected Michael Myers in Halloween 4. You have worked on notable film and TV titles. Share with us the process of putting your experiences down in these memoirs. Well, I really wanted to break it down into the film part of my career, which, as you've mentioned, started off with kind of indies and more uh, some B-movies and indies and then graduated to studio movies. And then my transition into network TV, TV movies, and, and I did quite a lot of that, 90 hours and so forth. And so I had this unique perspective on the job of directing movies and directing television and I, I guess I didn't realize until I really started to write about it how different those two jobs are. Really? Okay, we're going to get more into that in a little bit. Now, uh, for inspiration, having worked on so many different TV shows and films, have you collected souvenirs throughout the years? And did you turn to some objects just to, for inspiration in writing this uh, memoirs? Well, the inspiration was I had, some, I had boxes of photographs. Uh, quite quite a few of them are in the book that I kind of hand selected, uh, but the you know my assistant had kept photographs. Um, I had a few personal ones, and those were really helpful all the way through the different films. Um, and each story, I guess you would call it, or each episode from a particular project, I really used to illustrate a point about filmmaking, the director's role and um, just give people real insight in directing actors in particular. I think a lot of film students, that's the one area where they really stumble. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not taught as broadly in film schools as maybe it should be, um, but I think it's a big deal. Well, yeah, people skills is something that cannot really be taught in a classroom. So for people interested in reading this book, uh, does it attract both let's say, film students, as well as movie and television fans alike? Yeah, I, I think for just film fans, it's a great uh, peek behind the curtain because I think that I'm able to kind of take people places they may not have gone. Uh, it's it's very different, for example, from looking at the DVD extras on a Blu-ray or something like that. Um, you know, because I think books and literature is, is what I call the third dimension. Um, you go much deeper into what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. And most of what you see about film and TV is curated by TV shows or yeah. curated by, you know, people wanting to put their best foot forward. And this, there's not, this is not a book, there's no takedowns. It's just a little more, a little more honest, I think, about the process. Yeah, and it's amazing uh, when people really dig into this industry, what happens behind the curtain, like you mentioned. So let's go to the beginning for you. When did you realize you wanted to do direct and that's where your passion laid? 
it's super early. I picked up a Instamatic Super 8 camera in eighth grade. So I was one of I was one of those stories, you know, and started shooting dogs and cars and, <laughs> and <it laughs> took anything. Off. And it took yeah. off from there. So let's go to Halloween 4. According to IMDb, it's only your fourth credited title. Uh, how did you land that film? Uh, the, the, the movie, um, Mustafa famously wanted to resurrect Michael. Uh, they had had all of the, of the well-publicized troubles with Season of the Witch. and. Mm -hmm the lack of Michael and the fact that he had been blown up at the end of two <laughs> along with, you know, Dr. Loomis. So, but he was very set about he, if he was going to do this, he needed Michael back and he had his own distribution company and his own production company. So he could do whatever, whatever he wanted to do. And so it was Mustafa Khad was the one who was the, the force of let's bring Michael back. And I, at that time, had a writing partner, Alan B. McElroy, and, and he was a huge Halloween fan. And we put our heads together and thought and thought and thought about how we could bring Michael back. And I think that's really what kind of won us the job, was the way we really had, had thought through Michael's resurrection. Did it concern you? Like you mentioned, I mean, Season of the Witch was a good film in its own right. Its biggest... Right. Criticism, in my opinion, was the fact that the name Halloween was attached to it. Uh, but Season uh, of the Witch, I liked it. I thought it was a very, very good film. But it threw off, I mean, the big attraction for the fans for the Halloween movies was Michael Myers. So it was obvious to bring him back. But were you concerned about the story and how you guys were going to bring him back? Oh, that's all I was concerned about. I'm a story guy. I actually love the idea of doing a detective um, serial killer hunt movie. I wanted to say, okay, forget that it's Halloween just for a minute. And what if we're doing like a cop thriller? Mm -hmm. And that's what I kept saying to Alan, let's do a cop thriller where this, where, you know, Dr. Loomis is really the detective or the cop, even though he's not really. And he's on the hunt for an escaped convict. And that's what I got excited about, because once we took Michael out of his 10-year coma um, and he exploded in the ambulance, killed the crew and escaped, we, you know, we very carefully rebuilt him. So he takes the overalls from the mechanic killed in the gas station and he takes the mask from the, you know, from the yeah. drug store and, and we sort of built his resurrection. But I loved Donald going to the cops in Haddonfield and coming up with a plan for doing the detective work. Has he been to Jamie Lloyd's house? Has he been there yet? <clears throat> and then, you know, we had to shut down the power. So mm -hmm. we famously threw that guy named Bucky into the power lines and we had to shut down the phone lines. And so we had the, uh, the truck blow up the telephone lines going into Haddonfield. And we tried to be very careful about building a smaller and smaller world until we finally trapped our heroes in that house. Yeah. And, you know, there's a little bit of a solid Precinct 13 in there. I mean, sure. Donald Pleasance, uh, Loomis, what can you say about the actor and the character? I mean, Donald Pleasance, I mean, I mean, what, I mean, he's amazing. And you know, while you were discussing that, I just pieced together the puzzle of Danielle Harris 
She was a little girl in that film, the star of that film, and she's also in your latest film. Oh, yeah. She plays the mom. So have you guys just stayed in touch all these years? I've seen her um, at the... I don't go to many of the conventions, but I did do one of them in Pasadena. And um, I, you know, have stayed in touch to other people. Um, Kathleen Kidmont did a podcast, and I w was Zooming with Daniel Harris and, and Ellie Cornell as yeah, well. that's awesome. Uh, so, yes, and, you know, I just... I wrote this part in Natty Knox for her. She's a she's a real estate mom. And by the way, she's so good in the movie. Mm -hmm. And then I called my old friend Robert England because I wanted him to play what I call the John Houseman part, like the what like in the fog, you know. Yeah. The storyteller who who kind of brings the story together. And then I didn't know Bill Mosley, um, but I he was referred to me and and then I met him, and I, and I just cast him as as Abner Honeywell, our the killer. He he's he's his mother was a B movie, a horror movie star. So that's the kind of the meta part of yeah. the movie. Uh, it it was it was almost like a family reunion. It sounds like it. Now, uh, one a final question on Halloween. The film officially had three writers. How did all of you work together, and what did the original script? look like from the final product that we saw on the screen how did it change well i actually filming? for those who are interested i go into this in the book in some detail but the the treatment and script that were developed before i was involved um we did not really have anything to do with um alan and i went in and pitched a completely different uh take Mm -hmm. Some of the original writers' names, I think because of the Writers Guild, are still on the credit. But um, it's really Alan's, uh, it's an Alan script. Yeah. And um, there, we wanted to do our own thing. And, um, the, you know, there's, there's always with those teen slasher movies of that period, a kind of horny teenagers getting killed after sex element. Yeah. You know, and that's, I didn't think was very interesting, you know, because, it had, you know, with there had been Prom Night and Terror Train and, you know, so many movies of that period. And uh, I just, I, I just wasn't interested in how they had developed it. Um, so we start. we really did our own thing, honestly. And you gave it more of a story than just a slash and hack teenage movie. Well, that's what I, that's what I was interested in. I was interested in the, in the detective thriller of it, the cop thriller. Mm -hmm. I was very interested in the two girls, the Jamie and her foster sister, um, and how, you know, their Halloween night, you know, I mean, that's a homage to Laurie Strode, of yeah, course. Of course, of course. Now... Let's move on to some of the tea work, the TV work that you have done. You have worked on so many notable shows, X-Files, 24, Law and Order, Castle, and on and on. Your work spans all genres. Do you enjoy being able to do dramas, action, science fiction, or are you the type of, of director that would really like to stay focused on one genre and just work on that? Well, I think that there is a a basket that it all fits into, which is thriller, action thriller, horror thriller, suspense thriller. I tend to do well um, in that uh, bandwidth, mm -hmm. but the most fun I had 
was when I was invited to do something completely out of my element. It was a lifetime TV show <laughs> called Drop Dead Diva. And I was like the most unlikely hire. I don't know why they hired me. <laughs> but for the first time in my career, I was allowed to be funny. And it, it was it was just really, uh, it, was, it was a blast. But, but I think... I, I think that thriller is really kind of my, you know, focus. But do you enjoy being pushed out of your comfort zone and doing? Oh, I love it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You Bones see... is very funny. I don't know if you know the show Bones. Yeah, yeah. I did like 20-something episodes of Bones. Uh-huh. Uh, it's grisly. The forensic part is grisly, but it's funny. It is. David, <laughs> David Boreanaz is a funny guy. Uh, that's just another one. I'm mean, like, I've I looked through your list, and it's just amazing. People should oh, just go to IMDb and just check out your resume. It's amazing, on just the the amount of titles that everybody will be able to recognize, at least some of them. Now, all directors have their technique, whether it's colors, lighting, and so on. What would you say is your signature hallmark? What makes you different? What is very personal to you? What's very personal to me is that that fantasy and horror and thriller get treated like a 70s documentary. I guess that would be the summation. In other words, I was, you know, I'm kind of a, a child of the 70s. And so the whole freaking Coppola, Sidney Pollock script, you know, the, the, the real filmmaking, you know, this was, there was no CGI there was comic book movies didn't exist so uh, what i try to do is take the fantastic even something like michael myers yeah but um uh play it as not as just as a documentary but play it very real very naturalistic yeah and um i think that i brought that even to the television you know when you get into like a crazy scene um, in something like Dust Till Dawn, Robert Rodriguez's TV show, if you treat it like it's actually happening so that the characters believe it, uh, then the audience will believe it. So I'm not a big tongue-in-cheek guy. I don't wink at the audience. Um, my, my tone is, this shit is happening, yeah. and it's happening <laughs> right now. And I think... <laughs> That's my, I think that's a little bit of my special sauce. And it draws the people right in. Now, in your book, do you address the challenges that you have faced throughout the years as director? You know, last minute stuff that always happens. Stuff never goes according yeah, to plan. Yeah, no, there's so much of that in the book. There's tons of how you're constantly having to adjust to disaster and re recover from unexpected you know, emergencies. Oh, yes, there's a lot of that in the book, but always with a point. I don't just tell a story. I mean, I hope they're entertaining, but there's always a point to it. Now, was there ever a point in your career, having such a long and distinguished career, and it's still going, that you sort of fell out of love with directing at any point, that it had to recaptivate you, for lack of a better term, again? Never with the job. You do fall in and out of love with the business. And I think every filmmaker will tell you um, there's a lot of butting of heads. There's a lot of personal conflict. And this is not because anybody's a good or bad person. Mm -hmm, but when you throw high stakes creative people uh, into a mix where tons of money is at stake, 
Um, it's, you know, you are in the mud, you're in the Coliseum yeah. and, um, you win sometimes and you get beaten bloody sometimes. So I think, I think the battle of it can get exhausting, but, yeah. um, never the thrill of, I mean, I still am excited by just seeing daily that I still get excited. <laughs> I mean, it's just still, it's a magic trick. Yeah. I used to get these 50 foot rolls of super eight film back. You know, you'd take them to the store and they would develop them. I don't know if you were old enough to remember this, but you get the roll back and then you would put your Super 8 projector on it and project it on the wall mm -hmm. of your bedroom. And and just that transition from, you know, your dog in your living room to this image on the screen, it's magic. It is. It and, is. And when you get dailies back, even, uh, you know, on something like Natty Knox, I mean, we'd be out shooting in Fillmore and, we get our dailies back and we were like, did we do that? It's like, this is, that's not, it's something else, right? It it's is. something bigger than what you were doing. And it's very hard but, for people to, who don't do this for a living to understand how that feels and that magic. I mean, you can describe it like you're doing so well right now, but unless you felt it and you've been, you know, inside that zone, it's very hard to explain. Uh, one final question before we go. Looking back, you've transitioned very early on into studio films and television especially. What would you attribute your your big break to? What was your big break for the studios bringing you in into these high-profile uh, name television shows? Well, there's two breaks. One is into the bigger studio movies and then there's the break to television i'll, I'll be real fast um my break into studio filmmaking came through steven seagal awesome. he, he um picked me out and fought for me and a lot of people have difficulties with steven but he was like a mentor to me and and he said i want this guy and i wasn't very well known or very experienced and uh he he kind of forced the studio to hire me on a picture called mark for death yeah I know and, I heard and, the story, yeah. Yeah, and Mark Fidette became a hit. Yeah. It was like a serious hit movie. So that bought me, uh, you know, many, many, four or five studio movies after that. Um, and then I think that on the television end, there were two writers, um, uh, Jim, uh, Jim Wong and Glenn, who had moved on from, uh, we're doing a show called Millennium. And they remembered me from my early B-movie, Sandy Howard days. And they invited me to Vancouver. So that was a lucky one. That's where awesome. They just, they just called me. And so it's one thing leads to another. And I do, I do have a caution that people not get too caught up in what agents and managers tell you. Because yeah. um, their interest is not necessarily your interest. And when you're young, you know, you kind of want to listen to the, you know, the wisdom of what you're being told. Mm -hmm. um, and everybody told me not to do Halloween for everybody. Wow. Um, and so you have to just say, no, you know, I know what this is. I know what this can be. And I'm, thank you for your advice, but, you know, I'm doing this. That is so surprising. I mean, I can under sort of understand after Halloween 3 why they would, but probably the best decision you ever made. 
Yeah, totally. It was a genius decision on my part. <laughs> but uh, I was it was not encouraged by anybody. Yeah, sometimes so, yeah. yeah, sometimes you just gotta listen to your gut. Dwight, That's I wanna it. thank you again for taking the time to share just some of your experiences with us. Uh, everyone, please make sure to check out Dwight's new book, his memoirs titled Still Rolling Inside the Hollywood Dream Factory, which is now available, as well as his latest film, uh, Natty Knox, which is now streaming on Tubi, as well as other various digital streaming platforms. Uh, Dwight, thank you so much. It's been an honor uh, getting to talk with you. Do you have any final thoughts you want to share before we go? No, just, uh, you know, break a leg to anybody who's listening. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah, enjoy the enjoy the film. It is on Tubi now. It is, uh, yes. Check it out. It is a fun so, film. Uh, guys, thanks I'm, for having me. It is our pleasure. I want to thank our uh, viewers, both live and those of you who will be watching this later on. On behalf of Dwight and myself, stay safe, everybody, and stay walking. Bye now. See ya. Bye.